Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello and welcome to our podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week we'll be discussing establishing and delivering research outside of an NHS setting. Today I'm joined by Catherine Quinn, Charlotte Stoner and Suzanne Hill. Catherine is a Senior Research Fellow at the University of Exeter. Her interests include the experience of caring for or supporting someone with dementia and she is currently working on the IDEAL study, which is a large cohort study of living well with dementia. Charlotte is a Research Associate at UCL. Her interests include psychometrics, positive psychology and outcome measurement. Charlotte is currently working on exploring the cognitive footprint concept with a particular focus on the cognitive effects of medications. Suzanne is a PhD student, a clinical teacher and also a pharmacist at the University of Bradford. Her research interests include medication management when people with dementia are moving between a care home and hospital setting. Thank you very much for joining us today and I look forward to listening to your experiences on this interesting topic. Research occurs in a range of areas and not all of these are clinical or within an NHS setting. Research can revolve around the environment a person with dementia finds themselves in and the impact that that environment has on the person. For example, research can be conducted in someone's own home or a privately run nursing home. We know that dementia research is changing and care, support, activity and environment are getting the much needed attention they deserve. So as more and more early career researchers choose to work in this area, we need to be prepared and help them understand the differences in setting up, delivering or engaging with people with dementia in these settings. We hope today's panel can shed some light on this for us. So, let's begin. It would be great if we could give our listeners a bit of a background as to how the research you're doing is taking you away from an NHS setting. Suzanne, how does or how will your research take you away from this setting? Um, Well, my research does include NHS settings, but that's more the next phase of the research. So my research is in three phases, my PhD. Phase one is based in the care home setting. So it's looking at the care home perspective of the transition that I'm focusing on. So when people living with dementia move between the care home and hospital setting. So that's both the admission process and the discharge process. And then there are two, well, three phases. The first phase will be looking at the care home aspect of medication management at that at those transitions and the second phase will be looking at the hospital um, end of those transitions and then the third phase will will bring it all together so the phase that I'm currently organizing at the moment is phase one which is based in the care home setting okay and uh, Charlotte how does your research take you away from an NHS setting Well, my current role hasn't actually taken me away from an NHS setting yet, but um, my PhD was very much about doing research in the community. So um, I I did focus groups with people with dementia in um, sort of community settings, so places where they were already going to meet, um, charities and things like that. Um, I also did a lot of research which involved going to um, someone living with dementia, their own home, and completing questionnaires with them in their own home. Okay, and Catherine. Okay, so I work on the IDEAL study, and in the IDEAL study, I have a remit around developing staff um, the training for the researchers that work on the study because our researchers will go into care homes and enable me to do this. I draw on my experience of my first postdoc where I did worked on a, a trial in care homes for about three years, um, working with people with very severe dementia. 
Okay, great. Um, Catherine, can you talk through any differences there might be in getting ethical approval to do research, for example, in a care home, which is where you said you did your first postdoc, and is it different to getting NHS ethics? I guess we went down the the same route of getting NHS ethical approval. Because we were working with people with severe dementia, there was issues around capacity to consent. So anyway, I don't... um, seeing being uh, any different. I guess there were some different things to think about in terms of protection of vulnerable older adults. Uh, I'm also thinking about the environment that you're working in because most research, I guess, we do in the community where we go out and visit people in their houses. It's a little bit different when you're working in care homes where it's a completely different environment and there's multiple people around and you've got to do with the other residents in the home and um, staff as well. So it's sort of slightly different, but I guess, the similarities in having information sheets and things like that. Okay. And Charlotte, was there anything different about setting up a non-NHS study that you found for yours? Um, Well, as mine was sort of going into people's own homes, it was very much um, safety and loan working. So at the, the research ethics committee meeting I went to, I was asked by one of the committee members if I'd considered the alligator in the bathtub scenario, which is basically about dangerous pets. <laughs> Um, so yeah like <laughs> thankfully I've never come across an alligator in a bathtub right. but it was about have you come across dogs scary I've come dogs. across dogs but you know I'm fine with dogs so okay. I suppose for someone who maybe doesn't like dogs or has an allergy yeah then it's going to be quite important so I think that question was have you considered it and what would you do about it and I think so the importance for me was loan working procedures so Mm -hmm. if you're going into someone's own home in the community you're out of the office for long periods of time and it's about it's about maintaining your own safety so maybe um having a diary in the office where it says where you're going what time you're due to arrive and what time you're coming back um maybe even texting a colleague to say here texting a colleague to say you've left that person's home so for me it was just very much about maintaining safety in the community yeah Okay, and did you ever figure out whether you can accept a cup of tea, which was a question? I'm not sure. Came up earlier. Can you? I, I, a lot of people I um, speak to um, say yes, mm-hmm. um, because I think there's an issue around um, building rapport. Yeah. Particularly because I used to do. Um, talking about care home research but before I did that I was working with people in the houses and there is something about building rapport with people and or if you like pets it's something to start building rapport when you go in there I always did my colleague who um, I used to to work with would never do that but she always used to say to people she had a long drive on the journey back so but to be polite to be polite (laughs) yes and I've heard some horror stories of people having sort of washing up liquid still in their tea and things like that but I think it's you know, taking that part, it's about building rapport. Mm-hmm. So, and it's thinking about ways in which you can do that before you start doing the research. Yeah, it does establish quite a nice relationship when you first enter someone's home. It's sort of a natural thing to offer someone as a cup of tea, I guess. I ate lots of biscuits. We used to have okay. lots of cake. Some team, you know, these for some people, having a researcher coming into their home was like a special occasion. They would have cake, and you know, it was really nice. Mm-hmm. I never got offered cake. <laughs> you obviously weren't treated. That. <laughs> so it's sort of similar when you go into care homes. Um, what sort of things do you have to think about practicalities like working with the staff and do you have to get the specific staff approval to do the study within the care home? Okay so there's a big issue with research in care homes which is around two other gatekeepers right. and 
different homes have different rules. So okay. for some homes, it might be the big organisation that owns all the, you know, you might have a home that's owned, have um, one big owner that owns multiple homes. Um, some are sort of more privately owned. It is about working out who you need to get permission from. Even if you have permission from the big management company, you still need to make sure that you have um, permission from the care home manager. But it's also about understanding some of the logistics of the home and how things are operated there. So for some of the homes, I worked with 12 homes, and for some of them, perhaps it was the matron who had more sort of, sort of influence or power in the home. So it is a little bit about understanding, but I say, it's really important to make sure that everybody is on board. Yeah. And some of that might even be about spending some time in the home before you start your research. So even the staff know who you are. I mean, mm -hmm. I used to wear um, a name badge. And the reason we did that is because staff kept thinking we were the inspectorate. And we weren't, okay. <laughs> but it was just a way of, it said researcher. And it was just a way of, of ensuring that. But I think there is what we learned from doing it was the importance of, of spending time there beforehand so people get, got to know who you were and why you were there and what you were doing there. Yeah, okay. So Suzanne, you said that your research is about the continuity of care when people are moving from a care home to a hospital setting. So you're dealing with both <coughs> NHS and non-NHS NHS settings. Yeah. Um, does this double your workload or do you think they overlap a lot or...? Um, well, because of the, the nature of the way that the study's set up, phase one will kind of inform the design of phase two, so I'm not entirely sure what phase two will consist of yet, but there will certainly be ethics approval that will be required for phase two, as was required of phase one. Um, for phase one, it was a research ethics committee um, process, which I had to go through, so I had to fill in the form and um, go to the committee. Um does and it help having ethical approval for phase one, do you think, for phase two? does that... Well, it certainly helps from the perspective that I've been through the process. The process. Right. <laughs> so it helps the, the fact that I I was actually um, unsure about the whether I needed the full um, IRAS form, so I'd filled the full IRAS form in as well. Um, so I've been through the whole process, so I have had practice, if you like, um, both in filling the forms in, attending the committee... Um, so yeah, that's that's all positive. I suppose the the process is maybe slightly different for care home versus hospital, but again, because of the way that I was recruiting um, care homes to the study, I wanted them to be co-located with the hospitals in the study. Um, so I did gain um, kind of interest of the of the hospitals that I was wanting to focus on as well prior to that so that's kind of all lined up I suppose for the phase two but um, but yeah I would go along with what Catherine said really in terms of the ethics it's um, and also in terms of the dementia aspect of it as well is is um, adds complexity to the the whole ethics process in that you've just got to be extra careful that it's um, yeah I'm just the, the, the consent process as well because I'm including people with and without capacity to consent yeah it's like kind of Catherine understanding both of those processes mm -hmm. are different mm -hmm. um and so ensuring that you've got all the paperwork in place and all the forms in place mm -hmm. and that you understand all the the processes and procedures that go alongside that yeah um, so with that you have to understand the processes and the procedures and the forms yeah. enough to then explain to someone yeah that, that procedure so sort of following on from what you were saying Catherine about um, 
people with severe dementia and capacity, what do you do in that situation? How do you... Well, obviously, with any individual, that you, that you know, you have to assess whether they have capacity to consent mm-hmm. to take part, uh, whether they're able to retain the information recall. And, you know, so everybody is checked, even if, you, even if they're in the severe stages, you still have to check whether they've got capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for us, it was a process of approaching what we call a personal consultee, which is a family member or friend who you can seek advice from as to whether they felt that the um, person would, would be willing to take part in the research. Um, another alternative is what we call a nominated consultee, which is more of a, sort of a paid professional, so it could be a paid carer. I think the really important thing to say is even if you have consent from a personal consultee or nominated consultee, within the research process, you must still look out for signs from the individual um, to, to check that they're happy to take part in the research and they're not getting too distressed. And that's really important, particularly with severe dementia. You have to look at things like body language. Are they getting tired? And you have to take that into account as well. Even though you've got somebody who signed off on a form to say it's okay for them to take part in the mm-hmm. research, you as a researcher have to judge yourself um, whether they're happy with that process, but also whether that changes throughout the research process. And it's something that we were checking throughout. We did a lot of observational work, but it was about, you know, looking at, you know, any signs to indicate that they were in distress or getting tired. Mm-hmm. So sort of following on from that, if you saw something in a home that concerned you or with the patient, who would you then... Do you have an obligation to report that? Who do you... So that's kind of covered with, with your ethics. Right. So you have the protection of vulnerable older adults... Um, for us, it would have been um, going back to speak to the research team mm-hmm. and discuss it with them. Um, you know, but it is something, I think this is the great thing about having to do your ethics form is the fact that you have to think about these yeah. eventualities. And that's, I think sometimes people find ethics forms quite challenging because they're so long and they take for ages, but it gets you thinking about the research process and it gets you thinking about what would happen, you know, what you mm-hmm. need to think about. And, you know, it's good to think through these things yeah. before you find yourself in the research, you know, conducting the research, because if something happens, there's nobody around you to tell you what to do. You have to think about it yourself. Yeah. And if you thought about it for the form, you'll have these procedures in place. I guess that's true for you as well, Charlotte, because you were actually going into people's homes. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but is there anything else that you prepared for before you went in to their homes? Um, I think, so sometimes when you're going to someone's home it, it can be slightly unpredictable like mm-hmm. there might be sort of clutter and there might be sort of things in the way and it might be a bit sort of haphazard even if you sort of trip over things but I think it's just about being prepared for that and being able to sort of step around anything that <laughs> might trip you up right um, but yeah I think also sort of going into someone's home you are, you are a guest in their home and you have to be polite but then at the same time I remember when I was going to people's home I was quite conscious that I was there as their guest but also there's a level of politeness with them so maybe they'd start the questionnaire and then they decide actually they didn't really like the questions and they weren't really but out of politeness they seem to want to keep going and I think sometimes it's about having the confidence to say you know that you're helping me out with this research if this is something you don't want to do it's absolutely fine there's no pressure on you to carry on with this so I think sometimes it's about having the confidence to have that conversation with them, that even though they're being polite and they're kind of answering, but you can see they're not really into it, they don't really want to do it. It's about being able to stop and say, you know, is this actually something you want to do? Because it's absolutely fine if you don't, that's fine. Okay, great. 
Um, so my final question is, why do we do this? What do these non-NHS settings provide by way of insights or benefits for research that we might not encounter in an NHS setting? So maybe we'll start with Charlotte? I think for me it was about the amount of participants. So because I was going out to someone's own home in the community, I could go and see people who maybe didn't have someone there to act as a carer or a supportive other. So I was still able to go and see them and get their views and include them in their research. Whereas if if I could only do it in an NHS setting, I think that would really limit who I could talk to. Then people might not have transport, might not be able to get into where I'm doing the study. So I think it allows you to see the breadth of, of experience for people living with dementia all these people in very different situations and it allows you to go into that environment and get their views within an environment they're also quite happy with and comfortable with. Yeah. And Catherine? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Charlotte's points. And I was thinking about care homes is, you know, a lot of people with dementia will end up in, in the sort of care home setting. And so to be able to, to, to do research within that, be able to work with people who are in the more severest stages, um, I think there's a a real, I mean, I really enjoyed working with care homes. Um, there was the opportunity of getting a better understanding a little bit about how the care home environment itself can have an impact on people, but also we were doing staff training. And so having the opportunity to work with staff to feel that you were having an impact, to talk to them about the research, um, to see the difference it was making in the homes is, you know, something you don't get from some, if you were in a sort of lab setting. And it is mm. about seeing the changes, but also as I learned a lot as well. I, I still use those experiences and think about sort of future research I'd like to do because I, un, you can start to understand um, what's happening with those environments and where they could benefit from support from research. You said that care homes can be quite different to each other. Um, have yeah. you found that you've sort of gone into one and maybe felt that that's a really good way to run a care home and you want to sort of transfer that or do you use that in your research to then take to another I've seen I've seen models I work with 12 uh, I work with very different ones I work with very large ones Mm -hmm. and I work with very small homes (laughs) and I think that's the sort of thing I was saying about that being being sort of spend some time in the environment and be prepared before you go in there because every everyone was different and every sort of challenges of working with the homes (laughs) were different but I think I've seen I've seen some very good practice I work with some really great care staff who went Mm -hmm. above and beyond Mm -hmm. and I think it's nice to be able to say that but also you you can see really good practice and you can see about how things can work and it's not necessarily something that's very complicated it could be very simple changes so yeah I do I I really reflect on that experience in taking things forward. Okay and Suzanne? Clearly with my with my research question understanding what happens within the care home is integral to to answering the the questions that I have really which is focusing around how the medication management systems work between the care home and the the hospital setting Um, so it's an understanding of the organisational context um, the staff working within the care home how the organisations are structured similarly to what Catherine was saying uh, the differences in the care homes both in terms of their ownership and their size um, their CQC ratings you know just the whole breadth of organizations that are out there um it will be a a kind of a key aspect of my study to try and recruit to a wide variety of homes because it's a qualitative study so it's recruiting to a a wide variety of homes and understanding the differences between um those homes so yeah it's um 
understanding what happens within those the, those organisations and the staff that work within them, and obviously the, taking into account the what what it is that care home residents want, um, the person centred aspects of that, the safety aspects of that, um, and also their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess taking it out of an NHS setting, you really are making it patient centric because you're looking at where they live and what they need and how their lives are outside of hospital and how you can help. Um, has anyone got anything else to add to this conversation? Um, take the opportunities if that's where your research takes you. Uh, be prepared. Try and think about some of these things before you start off in the research process. <laughs> I think often there is a lot about thinking on your feet when you're in, but mm. you know, try and reflect on these things. And I say that's why doing the ethics form, although it is an epic task, but it does help <laughs> you to sort of think through these sort of what might happen in this situation and what are the risks and you know that there are benefits to filling in that very very long form yeah okay. i think non nhs settings they can be slightly unpredictable but if you spend the time when you're going through the iris form and it, it is quite good because it does make you think about what you would do in in these scenarios that you just might find yourself in so i think as I'll long as you can the bath. yeah exactly as long as you can think far enough ahead and but also understand that there might be some unpredictableness then I think I think you're fine and I think talk to people this yeah. is the great thing mm. about this podcast talk to other people who've done research because I'm always really happy to sort of relay my experience onto others and it's the same once you've done you know that sharing experience and I think that's you know to prepare you for doing this type of research as well okay that's great and being being open-minded and not expecting, you know, they're, they're not NHS settings and that's the beauty of this research that, you know, you're expecting things to be different mm-hmm. to NHS settings, um, appreciating the benefits of, of your research in, in, the, in the forefront, which you will have to do for their ethics anyway, and considering what the benefits of your research are for the staff in the care home, the residents and their families. Um, so, yeah, understanding that they are different, doing the planning before you go in, so... Mm-hmm do some good scoping work talk to people talk to the stakeholders that are involved in your research um so within my research we've got panels we've got a care reference panel we've got a stakeholder reference panel and they've been really helpful in talking through some things um before going into the setting as well and obviously academic colleagues that that work within the care home setting um speaking to those people is invaluable and i think just being mindful um, I think something that uh, Catherine touched upon about when you're going into the settings, you know, it, it might be kind of a disrupting of the routines that are going on in the care home and just be mindful to be to be sensitive of the context that you're working in and try and be as minimally disruptive as possible um, being respectful of the fact that, you you know, you're kind of there in a... And, and again, as Catherine said, especially when you're observing people, the fact that that can be perceived as being slightly uncomfortable, that people are being observed, and it comes across as inspector-like if you're not careful and you don't kind of um, do it in a, in a human way. Um, so, yeah, so... That, I think that's all I would say and involving engaging people we there's a big push at the moment in involving you know staff in even the design of the research you know that them kind of and staff and and residents and family members you know taking account of what do they think's a good idea right really from the early stages so you're thinking about how they 
might fit what they where they place emphasis and that may influence your study design it may influence the tools and the instruments uh, the research instruments that you use so kind of using it in that formulation um phase and it all helps with ethics as well you know if you've had that involvement that that ppi patient public involvement um all helps the ethics process as well okay great Thank you so much. Um, I would like to thank our panellists, Catherine, Charlotte and Suzanne. Um, We hope you enjoyed this recording. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes. Tell your friends and colleagues and share via social media using the hashtag ECRDementia. Tweet dem underscore researcher if you'd like to get involved or have any suggestions for future podcasts. Make sure you check out our website, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk, where there's more practical advice and tips on topics like we've discussed today. You can also use the community page of the website to engage with our panellists this evening or any others, and please do ask us any further questions you might have. Thank you and come back soon. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Thank you.